Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's October 14th. 1834, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Some of the dates we've recalled on this show have been partially apocryphal, like our episode about Dom Perignon accidentally inventing champagne. Others have been speculative, like the fate of St. Olaf, who may or may not have died in bloody battle. Well, Today in History in 1834 celebrates a first that is also not a first, because this was the first day an African-American was recorded as having been granted a patent. But asterisk, this actually wasn't the first time an African-American had been granted a patent. Stay with us on this one. Yeah, so on this day in 1834, Henry Blair, the only inventor ever to be denoted as, quote, a coloured man in the records of the US Patent Office, successfully uh, received a patent. Now, what he had uh, patented was a mechanical corn planter, and he signed his patent with an X because he couldn't write, he was illiterate. And for years, historians believed that, therefore, to be the first African-American to have a patent at all. But actually, that's because it was documented. Mm. There had been prior examples. Yeah, a New York City tailor called Thomas Jennings invented the first ever method of dry cleaning, which he patented in 1821. We don't know much about Blair. It's not impossible that he was a slave because at the time that the patent was granted, enslaved people could obtain them. There was no law against it. That wasn't changed until 1858, when the slave owner challenges state of affairs, claiming that he owned all the fruits of a slave's labour, including any intellectual property that they might come up with. So we do know that Henry Blair was a farmer and that during the long hours spent toiling the fields, he was probably thinking through ways to make this backbreaking work easier. So he designed this corn planter and it looks kind of like a wheelbarrow with a compartment in it that dispenses seeds and sort of rake heads affixed to the bottom that will cover them with soil as the farmer moves forward. And he got another patent too on August 31st, 1836, a mechanical cotton planter, which is basically an adaptation of the corn planter, but optimised for cotton. But actually, whether or not he had been a slave in the past or he had been born free, it is the backdrop of slavery in this era, I think, that makes this particularly interesting. Because in Thomas Jennings's case, the guy who it turns out was, in fact, the first African-American patent that we know about, he was able to get his patent in 1821 because he was born free mm. um, in New York. So it hadn't really been properly legally clarified but at that time, the belief was that slaves couldn't patent their own inventions, which was based on a legal presumption that the master of a slave would be the owner of the fruits of the labour of the slave. And it was because, uh, you mentioned that case uh, in 1857-58, Rebecca, uh, in Missouri. So there was this slave owner whose slave, Ned, a blacksmith, had um, invented quite an innovative farm plough, and he, the owner, had submitted it under Ned's name, mm. got the response that by law an inventor had to swear that the device was his own creation, 
and therefore Ned as a slave was property and not a citizen and therefore couldn't take an oath attesting to what he had created because of course how can property take an oath right. <laughs> it's just like no exemption for the common sense of well what well, about this weird about area this. where you've got property that's got a brain and a mouth yeah, yeah. But anyway um, so he then submitted it again in his own name the slave owner and that prompted a response from the attorney general quote a machine invented by a slave though it be new and useful cannot in the present state of law be patented i may add that if such a patent were issued to the master it would not protect him in courts against persons who might infringe it Mm. it also seems peculiarly progressive that any slave owner would have even attempted to register a patent in the name of their slave because far more often what happened was slaves inventions were claimed by their owners for example there's long been suggestions that the cotton gin which is this device that separates cotton fibers from their seeds was actually conceived by a an enslaved man called sam and not eli whitney who really is revered as one of america's great inventors and also plantation owner cyrus mccormack received a patent in 1834 for another invention that transformed farming and made him personally a multimillionaire, which was this mechanical reaper. But today most people think that that device was invented by Joe Anderson, who was an enslaved man owned by the McCormick family. So by and large, I mean, overwhelmingly, you can imagine that people weren't trying to find out whether the law would recognise the the sort of intellectual property of the, the no, people who they just took the oath, even exactly. though they hadn't invented it. Right. There is a bit of a comparison with the history of female inventors as well because the first patent that was issued in American history in 1715 was for something that was invented by a woman a woman called Sibylla Masters it was another agricultural device they were very you know very important at the time this one was for processing corn it was issued in her husband Thomas's name it was issued by the British authorities because it was prior to American independence but women were not eligible they were considered you know the property of their husbands rather than being an independent citizen so it was issued in Thomas Masters's name but in all credit to him they were a Quaker couple and Quakers are very much at the forefront of social progressivism at the time he specifically spells out in the title of the patent that this was a device that had been invented by his wife Sibylla she went on to patent something else under his name as well so it just goes to show the workarounds that people had to employ to get their ideas out there and that you had to rely to a certain extent on the benevolence of the people around you who had more social clout backing you up and basically admitting that you did invent this rather than just taking it from you. There was also a counter-argument to all of this amongst those who loved slavery, uh, which was, you know, if you're honest about the fact that a Negro, as they would have called African-Americans then, a Negro slave had invented a thing that you are then profiting from, that shows that the argument that slavery limits the mind of the Negro is false. Mm. That shows that, you know, it's possible for people to feel some liberty and some sense of being an American mm. and continue to have independent thought whilst being your slave. So actually, you know, well, just a case of like, let's give people credit. It was also kind of giving slavery credit as well. Yeah, and that was a tension that was identified by one of the earliest known black American inventors. He was a guy called Benjamin Banneker. He was a free black man and he was a polymath. He became really well known in the 1700s as a mathematician, an astronomer. He was also a surveyor and he was an author of almanacs, which were a really big deal at the time. Every home would have one because We've they would We've all seen contain, Back to the Future. Yeah, weather <laughs> predictions, all that kind of thing. But he famously corresponded with Thomas Jefferson and he sent him a letter in which he sent some of his work and he took him to task for owning slaves. And Thomas Jefferson, in fairness, you know, 
you want this to go on to be a great historical <laughs> correspondence. But Thomas Jefferson wrote a really mealy mouth, like nobody, nobody hopes better for the black race than me, kind of response. Great so thought. I'll come yes. back to you on that soon. It, it didn't go that great. But Banneker was also an inventor. You know, we've talked before about how people just seem to be inventors yeah. in that time period. Everyone was an inventor. And there's a famous story that has him borrowing a pocket watch and deciding he wants to build a clock. So he took the watch to pieces and he hand carved replicas of all of the tiny pieces within to a bigger scale and built a wooden clock which reportedly continued to strike on the hour until his death. Well, the list of African-American inventors who haven't been swept under the carpet is now quite extensive. And you look at like some of the things that uh, characterise the modern world that in a way where some of the big names of invention like Edison and Bell uh, just sort of trip off your tongue. These names don't particularly, but the devices that they came up with are massively significant. For example, the three-light traffic signal, which was invented by Garrett Morgan in 1923. He stops s- me having a couple of accidents. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> Thanks, you think Garrett. of how many people, <laughs> how many people's lives he saved. He actually came up with the idea because he'd witnessed an a, an accident at an intersection where there was just a no. red and green. Isn't it mad that they just yeah you used to just say stop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no amber no. light. But yeah. And then automatic elevator doors invented by Alexander Miles in 1887. Probably also saved my life in ways that I don't appreciate. Yeah, prior to that, you know, you've seen them in the films where you had to pull the doors shut, open and shut yourself. It's just a recipe for disaster. Then more frivolously, the story of George Crumb, also known as George Speck. He was a chef and restaurateur who was said to have unintentionally created the potato crisp during the summer of 1853. Mm. <laughs> I'm guessing he didn't get a patent for that one. He did not. <laughs> Fried yeah. potato. Yeah. I feel like that was done. <laughs> right. I mean, actually, interestingly, uh, when you look at one of the first black women in US history to receive a patent, that is a significant innovation as well. Uh, Sarah Boone, in 1892, the improved ironing board. Mm. So ironing boards existed, but she's the person who made them curved. So, you know, oh, wow. you know the bit at the end where you, like, oh. wrap your shirt around to do your sleeves? Yeah. That is because of Sarah Boone. And the reason that we know about some of these early pioneering black inventors is thanks to a guy called Henry Edwin Baker Jr., who really interesting guy, one of the first African-Americans to enter the United States Naval Academy, and he was later appointed as an assistant patent examiner at the United States Patent Office. And that's where he began researching the history of black inventors. And he wrote to black community leaders to get kind of word-of-mouth leads on what other inventors may also have been black. And that's how he found out that Thomas Jennings, the guy who invented dry cleaning in 1821, mm. that's how he discovered Please, that he dry was... Scouring. American. Dry scouring, as it was called at the time, less attractively, like, I'm not as confident that my clothes are going to come out well when you tell me you're going to dry scour them. It's already confusing enough to know that dry cleaning isn't actually dry. Dry scouring just gives you no clues (laughs) as to what's going on. And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Retrospectors, part of the ACAST Creator Network.